This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Chris Brooks here, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Did you know that we are funded by the generosity of listeners just like you? As we approach the end of this year, would you please consider giving a special gift to this ministry? Just call 888-644-4144 or give at equipradio.org. Please enjoy the following pre-recorded encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm absolutely thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the word to the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I love reminding you of God's faithfulness, that he is good. In spite of the challenges of living in a fallen world, we have the eternal promise of God. And we see those promises as yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus was uh, ascribed many names. Maybe the one that I celebrate the most today is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus uh, came so that we might have a relationship with the Father and the presence of his peace with us. And uh, as we traverse through this world that is so full of brokenness and pain and suffering, aren't you glad that we have uh, peace, his peace, not as the world gives, but his peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that today your heart will be encouraged, that your love for Christ will be deepened, that your appetite for his word would increase, and that today we will be able to have such a rich time of fellowship. Today I want to talk about Christmas. You know we're in the Christmas season, but I want to talk about it from a different perspective. I want to talk about it from the Jewish roots of Christmas and in particular biblical prophecy. Uh, the biblical prophecies that are fulfilled in the coming of Christ and in the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus. We profess Jesus to be the Son of God, the promised Messiah of Israel. But do we have grounds for that? I think the argument is yes. I think there is much scholarship to support this as well. But uh, it's important for us to never forget that, that Christmas was an event that was predicted by the prophets, and that when Jesus came, it was the fulfillment of Scripture that he came to fulfill. You know, it was a few days ago that I came across an article that was written by Focus on the Family, which simply was entitled, The Birth of Jesus, A Prophetic Course After Centuries of Silence. I love that title, A Prophetic Chorus. And what they uh, go on to detail are the number of prophecies that were fulfilled just at the birth of Jesus, from the virgin conceiving to him being born in Bethlehem of Judea, about God calling his son out of Egypt, Rachel weeping for her children, and so much more. We're going to talk about biblical prophecy, and we're going to take your calls today at 877-LIVE-675, 877-548-3675. And my hope today is to deepen your faith and to clarify your questions. Maybe you have questions about uh, the scriptures and uh, in particular the prophetic 
uh, scriptures that speak of the Messiah. We want to uh, answer those questions. And I brought along a wonderful brother and friend, Dr. Michael Radelnik. He's a professor and program head of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute, a frequent guest here on Equipped. He also answers Bible questions every Saturday morning on Moody's Radio, on Moody Radio's Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. How are you, sir? Great. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Chris. It is so good to have you on. I want to ask a question that comes from the opening pages of your book. And the book that we are referencing today is uh, really a landmark book. It's called The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. I don't think anyone's done a book like this. And you had the privilege of being one of the general uh, editors, along with Edwin Blum. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want to ask a question that comes from the opening pages of your book. Who is Dr. John Selhammer, and how (laughs) did he influence your life? What is the influence? Uh, You dedicate the book affectionately to him. So who who was he, and how has he influenced your life? Well, uh, he was a professor of mine in my doctoral program, and... A dear friend, uh, he—he's probably the finest Old Testament scholar I ever encountered in my mm, life. And uh, mm. but the man knew the Bible inside out in the original languages. He'd never even read an English Bible. I think he just read wow. it in Hebrew and Greek. And he—he uh, he was amazing because he could teach at every level, from the doctoral level, and I. He was also a Sunday school teacher at a congregation that I attended, <laughs> uh, and uh, he he was just remarkable about that. But the thing that made him so special is uh, he strongly affirmed that the central theme of the Hebrew Bible was the Messiah, and that had become quite... Mm, it has fallen into disrepute with evangelical scholars uh, in the past century. And I, you know, I had uh, gone to a seminary, a really fine seminary, and I ended up majoring in New Testament instead of Old for my master's because I just didn't want to argue with the Old Testament profs there about Messiah in the Hebrew Bible. Wow. And, and uh, then I d- did a doctoral course with, with uh, Dr. Salhammer, John, and it was, it, he just showed how if you read the Bible for its plain sense, instead of trying to link it into ancient Near Eastern documents, but just read the Bible. In fact, he taught me what I call now my first rule of biblical interpretation, uh, which is, uh, if you don't, un- uh, in order to understand the Bible, we must read it. And the second rule, <laughs> second rule uh, was, uh, if you didn't understand it the first time, read it again. And uh, the that's what it did, and it just reaffirmed for me and showed me how the Hebrew Bible really did foretell the Messiah. And uh, what was so interesting is Ed Bloom, who was, I was uh, Ed's graduate assistant when I was doing my master's at Dallas okay. Seminary. Okay. And uh, and he always told me that John Salhammer was the greatest student that he ever had uh, at when he was a professor at Dallas, uh, when John, when Ed was a professor. And we both thought, uh, John had just gone to be with the Lord when we were doing this, and we thought, what a perfect person to dedicate this book to, because it was his influence in my life, and 
that that so affected this idea that yes, if we read the Bible plainly, we'll look for the Messiah. Well, I hope it's a gift to our listeners to commend to them the ministry of Dr. Selhammer and uh man, there's so much. Thank God for YouTube, the time that we live in. There's so much that is available for you to learn from this scholar of scholars. He mm-hmm. uh, during his lifetime uh taught at places like Biola, my alma mater, Bethel, uh, uh, Ted's, Trinity Evangelical, Western Seminary, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary as well. And uh, and one of the uh, things that he was noted for was uh, his uh, his reflections on John 546. Jesus says this in John 546, and I want you to expound on what mm-hmm. you believe Jesus is getting that here. He says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Why is that significant, in particular as it pertains to your book? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a really uh, significant passage because it seems to say that Moses didn't just write about the Messiah, but he knew he was writing about the Messiah. Because yeah. if you look at the context, it says, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father, your accuser is Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, I was once at a forum, uh, a scholarly forum, and uh, there were two presenters. I was presenting that the prophets not only wrote about the Messiah, but they knew they wrote about the Messiah. Uh, that under the superintending of the Holy Spirit, they knew they were writing about the Messiah. And my partner, a very fine person, great scholar, was saying that, yes, they wrote about the Messiah, but they didn't know it. They thought they were writing about something in their own day, and that uh, the the uh, Holy Spirit meant something other than what the prophets meant. And I cited this passage that Dr. Salehammer pointed out to us. Uh, I just said, well, I can't imagine being at that judgment day when Moses is their accuser, and he says, how could you not believe this? I, I wrote of the Messiah. And they'll say, well, did you know you were writing about the Messiah? Oh, no, no, I didn't know. Well, then how could he accuse them? If he didn't understand it, how could he expect anyone else to understand it? Yes. And, and that's why this is so significant, that Moses not only wrote about the Messiah in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, but he understood when he wrote Genesis 3.15, he was speaking of the Redeemer that crushed, that would crush the head of the serpent, that he knew he was speaking of the offspring of Abraham that would bless the whole world. He knew mm. that he was speaking of the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Genesis mm. 49. He knew he was writing of the Star of Jacob uh, that would come from Jacob in Numbers 24. He knew he was writing about the prophet who would be like him. Yeah, that's that's uh, why I think it's a significant, significant verse. Praise God. Maybe you have questions about Bible prophecy, in particular Messianic prophecy. 877-LIVE-675 is the phone number. 877-548-3675. Why did you agree to be a part of this project, the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy? <laughs> and and what, what is your hope for those who get a hold of it? I know for me, as a, as a teacher who teaches regularly in the local church context, uh, this type of reference resource uh, is has been a gift. But for those who will get a copy of this, what is your hope? 
Well, the reason I agreed to do this, actually it was my idea to do it, and uh, I dragged Ed, Ed Bloom in with it, uh, and Moody <laughs> Publishers agreed, uh, is, first of all, I came to faith in Jesus through someone sharing messianic prophecy with me. Uh, you know, I was raised in a traditional Jewish home. I believed in a future Messiah. I didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, this dear Jewish woman who argued with me that I, actually I argued with her, she kept just showing me what the scriptures say, and she finally is the one that convinced me by God's spirit opening my heart that Jesus really fulfilled these prophecies. So it was very near and dear Praise to me. Praise God. Uh, then uh, when I went to seminary, I, as I said, I I didn't major in New Testament because I just didn't want to argue. Also, I had a lot of Hebrew background, so I thought, uh, get better at Greek. You know, don't major in your weakness, not your strength. Yes. So uh, I did that. And then I wrote a book called The Messianic Hope, Is the Hebrew Bible Really Messianic? And it was derived from my dissertation, uh, my doctoral dissertation, but it was to make the case that the Hebrew Bible really was a messianic text. And... Uh, I thought that what was lacking was to to actually make that case. We need to go through the whole Hebrew Bible and show all the places where it's messianic. So I wrote this book, and I was hoping with that publisher to do a second book, sort of like the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. They got a new reference books editor, and he looked at me one day, and he's because we were sort of like talking about doing this. He said, "I don't agree with that. I'm not doing that book." and so i i just felt it was so important to go through the hebrew bible you can't this i think some of the publicity said it's every uh messianic prophecy you can't find every messianic prophecy in in one book but we tried to get as many as we could and so i went to moody publishers and it was just amazing uh when i proposed it like as i was talking they said uh the the uh, publisher said to me, yes. I said, but I haven't finished. It doesn't matter. They said, yes, we want to do that book. And uh, so I, I got ads because I wanted to have uh, someone working for me that I used to work for. I just thought that would be fun. So <laughs> no, no, <laughs> You can uh, inflict Ed, upon him some of the yeah, pain. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, the, upon you. the truth of it is Ed Bloom is just that he was the general editor yes. of the Holman Christian Standard Bible Translation. He did yes. the study Bible. He was a real Renaissance man. He could teach any subject uh, and brilliant, two doctorates. And I thought, man, it would be so good to work with him. We're, we're dear, dear friends. And so we did that together. And, uh, you know, he dragged me into the HCSB project back in the day. So I dragged him into this one, and it was a real blessing to do. So well, that's, my hope, though, is to reassure people that Jesus is not just the Messiah, but he's the Messiah promised in the Hebrew Bible. Well, from John Selhammer to uh, Ed Bloom to you, we want to say thank you for this uh, this great work. And we're going to come back after this short break because I want to get into uh, some of the terminology that we've been using. You know, we often use the term Messiah, but I can imagine for those who aren't familiar with the faith, they may be wondering, what is that term? And mm-hmm. uh, why is there so much... Uh, excitement over fulfillment, uh, was there even an expectation? We could talk about both the expectation and the definition of the term as well. We want to talk take your uh, questions as well at 877-LIVE-675. That's 
548-3675. Hey, as we approach the end of another year, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving and supporting through your generosity, we've been able to broadcast each and every day of this year. As we make preparations and plans for a new year, we ask that you would consider giving your most generous tax-deductible gift today to Equip at 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Enjoy this rendition of Silent Night. We'll be right back. On Equip, we tackle the tough issues, and there sure have been many this past year. But we continue to confront them with the relevant biblical truth of the gospel. As we turn to a new year, will you join our Christ-centered approach by becoming an AutoGift monthly partner? Keep Equip on the air in your community and across the nation. Your $30, $50, or $85 a month gift will make a huge difference in this new year. Equip yourself and make a difference for Christ and His kingdom at the same time by calling 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. What is Walter Kaiser, Ed Henson, Craig Evans, and many more have in common? Well, they're all contributors to the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. General Editor is with me today, Dr. Michael Redelnik. We're taking your calls at 877-LIVE-675. Also thanking you for your generosity as we approach the end of the year. Uh, We need to finish strong. We've all heard that saying, it's not how you start, but how you finish that makes the difference. So we're asking for your support so that we can close this year out strong in a healthy position so that we can ensure to be with you each and every day of the new year, helping you to more effectively live, share, and defend your faith. If you want to support Equip, if you've been blessed by the program, simply dial 888-644-4144, or if it's easier, go to equipradio.org. Dr. Radelnik, um, let's talk about this term, Messiah. Uh, we often use it. What does it mean? Well, you know, when I was first coming to faith, people were talking about the Messiah, and I thought, well, I know what that means because I was raised in a Jewish home. You know, all my life I heard about yes. the days when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes. But I found out that the word Christ was not a last name, but a title. I thought I had always thought it was the last name, like Joseph Christ, Mary Christ. They gave birth to a baby, and his name was Jesus Christ. That's what I thought growing up. But no, it means Messiah. It means technically the anointed one. And this is a very important term. It's used a few times of a special deliverer mentioned in the Bible. Uh, and there are other titles used for him as well, but the word Messiah, the anointed one, uh, has been u- has kind of come to mean all those different titles. I've got, uh, since you mentioned it, I thought I would just read the definition as it is in the book. Uh, this is a, it says, the Messiah is the eschatological, that means the end of days, royal servant of the Lord, springing from the Davidic house who is consecrated by God to provide redemption from sin, bring deliverance to Israel, rule the world, and establish a kingdom of peace, justice, and righteousness. 
And uh, that is what the Bible foretold. And it uses terms like the Son of God for him and the Son of Man and uh, the Son of David. Uh, he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, uh, and Prince of Peace. He's also called the Servant of the Lord, the Branch of the Lord. Uh, and so when we talk about the Messiah, these and other titles are all subsumed under that, that office of the royal end of days king who would reign Israel over Israel and the world. You quoted a, a scholar in your introduction, A.T. Robertson, who remarked yeah. concerning, um, concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. You say, he says, uh, Jesus found himself in the Old Testament, a thing that some modern scholars do not seem to be able to do. But, but to me, it, it, it should be clear as we read the New Testament that Jesus saw himself on every page, if you will, of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. of the Torah. Uh, think, for for example, Luke 24, classic passage here, Road to Emmaus, Jesus in, in, encounters Cleopas and, uh, and his companion there, and, and uh, says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. So you're speaking of both his sufferings and his glory. And then it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. That's pretty clear, isn't it, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, you know, A.T. Robertson was writing at the end of the 19th century. And at that time, critical scholarship had denied any kind of divine inspiration of the Bible. They denied the ability for prophets to foretell. Uh, so as a Can result, you just define critical scholarship for those who may not know? Yeah. Uh, people in universities who did not actually have a personal faith in Jesus, they thought Jesus was a good man, a, a good teacher, a good role model, but uh, that they didn't believe in the inspiration of the Bible, and they were critical of it. And, and so I, you know, here's they, the thing. They started I just, cutting it up. I just know. want to say this. I came out of uh, high school. I was a youth group kid. I came out mm -hmm. of high school, went to a public university, and I wanted to uh, major in theology. And here I was as a youth group kid growing up in the evangelical church thinking to myself that everyone who studied the Bible believed it. That surely <laughs> in order for you to be a scholar in the Scriptures – that you had to have faith in the scriptures. And I remember the first class I took, it was a New Testament survey class at this public university. I, for the first time, encountered someone who was a scholar of scripture but didn't believe one word of it, and it blew me away. Yeah. And they're skeptical of every word of it. You know, they, they, they question who wrote it. They question uh, that there's any consistency to it. It's, it's really remarkable. And that by the way, is who A.T. Robertson was talking about when he said modern scholars can't seem to find Jesus where Jesus could find himself. But the problem happened is that many evangelical scholars have gone on to university for their PhDs after getting their seminary training. Uh, and as a result of that, they buy in. Now, they still believe in the inspiration of the Bible. They just don't think there's any prophetic messianic prophecies, you know, prophetic yeah. words about the Messiah. And, and then they have to come up with all these kinds of alternative approaches 
which which say, well, the Holy Spirit meant it, but but the prophet didn't, and and things like that, or that the the New Testament writers were quoting it in such a way as to make it seem like uh, they were u- using a Jewish kind of hermeneutic that wasn't valid for them or for us. So those are the kinds of things that they're doing, and uh, I I thought. You know, there, there's got to be a way to read the Bible where you take it at its plain sense, reading it holistically, you know, instead of just pulling a verse here out of the context or there, but reading it holistically that will point us to the Messiah. I believe that's what Jesus was saying in Luke 24, because he kept saying all, all, all the scriptures, all about him, all. He keeps repeating this all, and I, I think when we see that, we have to understand that not only are there individual prophecies pointing to the Messiah, but it's deeper. It's even in the DNA. It's in the literary structure of the passages. So even books that we would think, oh, that's not messianic. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, Because if you read them literarily, and I think one of the great books that uh, chapters in the messianic handbook is on Ruth, and uh, that one shows that the whole idea of the book of Ruth leads you right to the genealogy, which establishes the Davidic house because mm. of the anticipation through the Davidic covenant that one day Messiah would come through the line of David. So it's not an individual prophecy. It's the pointing to that genealogy at the end that everyone skips. So. Man, I have a 100 questions, and we only have time for a few, I'm sure, But I don't want anyone to turn that dial because Michael Radelnik is a gift. When he comes back, we're going to talk to him about some of the more prominent Messianic prophecies that maybe you're studying in your weekend gatherings as a part of an Advent study series leading up to Christmas. We'll talk to uh, Dr. Michael Radelnik about that and much more on the other side of this break. If you want to learn more, about the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, go to our website, equipradio.org. Born is the king, yeah. Born is the king of Israel. You're listening to a pre-recorded Encore presentation of Equipped with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for each and every one of you that have tuned in today. We're having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Michael Radelnik about the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. As a matter of fact, this Christmas, we're in the giving spirit, so we want to be a blessing to you. We have five complimentary copies of this wonderful book that will help you to deepen your faith, to understand how all of the Hebrew Scriptures point to the Messiah, and to help you to more effectively share your faith with your Jewish friends and family members. If you'd like to get a copy of this, just simply go to our Facebook site right now. Um, Those of you who are on social media, Facebook or Twitter, as a matter of fact, and just simply communicate, I would love to get a copy of the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, and we will pick the first five, the first five, count them, one, two, three, four, five, and we will send it over to you. So please go there now and request your copy. Also, as we approach the end of the year, God has been so faithful, and as we prepare for a new year full of Zoom webinars and wonderful guests and resources and phenomenal shows, 
We love for your support, to have your support. So if you can support us financially and prayerfully, why don't you call now, 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. Today will be a great day for you to stand with us with your most generous tax-deductible year-end gift, 888-644-4144. Dr. Radelnik, um, I want to know from you, what, what prophecies of uh, Jesus's birth uh, stand out the most to you. I, this weekend had the privilege of uh, teaching on the life of Mary. We kind of did a uh, biopic piece on Mary's life. And I think about the angel Gabriel coming to her, uh, this this young woman coming to her and saying, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. How would she or any Jewish uh, person living during that time, how would they have heard the angel's pronouncement? Well, obviously, it it goes back to the Davidic covenant uh, in Second Samuel seven, and it goes back to, I I think even to the promise that was made to Hannah, in First uh, Samuel two. But here's the thing: How did Mary respond to that? How can this be? Right? Yeah. For I've yeah. not yet known a man. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, they understood biology. They no they more practical question of... has ever been asked. <laughs> exactly. You know. I, yes. I think I think that you know there there were people who used to say well you know in the ancient world they were they were silly they didn't know how babies were uh, came to be well no they they didn't believe in the stork even then and uh, so Mary asked that question I think the pa- most central passage at Christmas time is Isaiah seven fourteen which has come under fire yes. as a messianic prophecy and I was unhappy that I got to write that chapter about Isaiah seven fourteen in the handbook and i've got a fairly simple explanation that i think a lot of people miss first of all people say well it can't be messianic because it's dealing with a threat of two kingdoms uh coming against king ahaz of judah but those two kingdoms are threatening to take ahaz off the throne kill the whole house of david and replace him with someone of their choosing that would do what they wanted well think about it if you kill the whole house of david that kills the messianic hope because the Messiah was to come from the line of David. Mm. And so there's a problem. Then Isaiah offers Ahaz a sign, make it as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. In other words, ask for anything in the universe. Make it a really hard sign that God's going to fulfill his promises. And Ahaz feigns spirituality. He says, no, no, you know, I'm not going to test the Lord. Which it's a, it's a pretty good idea not to test the Lord. It says don't do that. Except when the Lord tells you to, you know, then yes. you should. Uh, and so it's interesting because in verses uh, 10 and 11, everything is addressed to Ahaz. And in Hebrew, and you I'm sure know this, uh, but probably the listeners don't. In Hebrew, the second person, the word you, the pronoun you, has either a second person singular or a plural. English doesn't. We long for that. You know, that's why when we, you know, that's why people in Texas say, 
y'all or all y'all, right? Yes. To have a plural to distinguish. I'm from New York. We say yous or yous guys, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, so verses 10 and 11, he's talking to Ahaz alone. Then in verse 13, after he rejects the sign, Isaiah says, okay, I'm going to talk to the whole house of David, and now I'm going to give you a promise, and he changes all those second persons to a plural. Therefore, the Lord himself will give all y'all a sign. Yeah. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name Emmanuel. The Messiah is going to be born. The Davidic hope is secure, and the sign will be the virgin will be born. And he will grow up, and it says he'll eat butter and honey. Those are the, that's the food of oppression, if you read the end of the chapter. So it says he will grow up under a time, in a time of oppression. And then verse 16, I would translate a little different. Some versions do this. Uh, but I would start with the word but. It's a contrast. Uh, but before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Now, I think a lot of people get confused. They think it's talking about the boy Jesus in verses 13 through 15. But it yeah. changes here to the singular. It's talking to Ahaz again. It says the two kings you singular, Ahaz, dread. He's changed it. Who's the boy? Well, early on in verse 3, when the Lord sent Isaiah to Ahaz, he says, and take your son, Sha'ar Yashuv, to meet Ahaz. Now, things like that are not insignificant. So uh, Isaiah takes his infant son along with him, and then, you know, his toddler, and he says, but before this boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, in fact, he's talking in verse 16 about Sha'ar Yeshuv. It's a second short-term prophecy. There was the long-term prophecy of Messiah. He'll be born of a virgin. But here in verse 16, now, but before this boy reaches the age of knowing good from wrong, uh, right from wrong, what's going to happen is these two kings you dread from the north, they'll be removed. So really, in verses uh, 13 through 16, you've got two prophecies. 13 through 15, the hope for the son of David coming through a virgin. That's to all the house of David, a long-term prophecy. Then verse 16, a short-term prophecy about Sha'ar Yeshuv. A couple of years, these two kings will be gone. So good. And this is why um, I, I just want to highly commend those who aspire one day to teach the, the Word of God, either in the local church context or in the, in the uh, classroom, um, to take seriously theological education and training. And I mm -hmm. I have to give a plug here for Moody Bible Institute. Highly commend Moody to you. And you can find out more at moody.edu. Let's go to Jeff, who's listening in Pompano Beach, Florida. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for listening. What's your question for Dr. Michael Rodelnik today? Yeah, I just wanted, thank you for taking the call. I just wanted to uh, ask if, if how would you talk? How would you ask a question to a Jehovah's Witness or someone that doesn't believe that Christ is, in fact, God? You know, they just okay. Uh, so the just, deity, uh, it's, you know, yeah. Well, uh, do you want me to answer? That? You want to take it? No, no. I think I, I just want to reference that there's a whole chapter in this book, the deity of the Messiah in the Old Testament, page one forty-seven. But go right ahead, Doctor yeah. Redonik. Yeah, well, if, I'll tell you the first thing I do when I talk with uh, these dear people who I think are really spiritually driven. Otherwise, they wouldn't be knocking on my door to talk to me about the Bible. And so I always thank them for coming. 
And then I always invite them in, and I say, you're asking the most important question. I don't talk to them about the deity of the Messiah. The first thing I say is, this is the most important question I can think of, and I'm so glad you came. Could you answer this for me? How can I be assured that my sins are forgiven? And they will then talk all about how I have to be a good person, join their group, and goodness, goodness, works, 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 works. And then I show them in their faulty translation, the New World Translation is not a good Bible translation, but it just so happens to have translated Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 correctly, which is, for by grace, they say kindness, are you saved, not through works, uh, by, by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what it says. And they read that, and I say, well, you've been just talking all about works, and what does this say? And then they get all confused, and they start saying, well, it's a translation. I said, well, we're using your translation. And then we start talking about Jesus being the Redeemer, and that we could trust what he has done. And, of course, that's when the deity of Messiah comes up. And I, I go through Isaiah 9, 6 with them, which is a powerful verse which declares not just the names of the Messiah, but his royal titles, all indicating deity one he shall be called wonderful counselor we think that you can call a counselor wonderful i have i have a great counselor he's wonderful but those words are used of god alone a wonder of a counselor uh and uh the other mighty god el gibor you cannot call anyone in fact in chapter 10 god himself is called el gibor the mighty god and then uh, I think there's a mistake in a lot of translations. I'm glad I know a little Hebrew because it says not everlasting father, but father of eternity. Mm. He is the author of time. The create only God is the author of time, the father of eternity, like, like uh, George Washington, the father of our country, uh, the founder. Well, that's what it means to be the father of eternity, the father of all time. And, uh, uh, then, fourthly, the Prince of Peace. That means the ruler of peace, uh, a term that's designed when God reigns, he is the ruler of peace. And so uh, that's a wonderful passage, and uh, people will say, well, you have to read it in the Hebrew, and then I'll always say, okay, let me get my Hebrew Bible. And, th- th- <laughs> and then they say, we have to leave. But I, I, the reason I point this out is there was a, a dear Jewish woman that was sort of the, she was older, but she was the student. You know, they, people came in, two, in twos. There's the more experienced and the more new. Yes. And uh, the next day, the Jewish woman, who was the novice, she came back, knocked on my door again. She said, they don't know I'm here, but I need to talk with you more about this. Wow, wow. Uh, and so uh, I, th- I think always go right to the core issue. How can I know my sins are forgiven? Well, and see it as an opportunity as well, and uh, yeah. and I, I would also these commend. Are people, they, I, these are I, people that want to know God. Let's let's talk to them like that. Yes, yes, and I would also mm-hmm. commend, uh, and this is a great opportunity to remind people that e- evangelism is not a singular act of uh, something that we're doing mm-hmm. on our own. Uh, we need to take these people before the Lord in prayer and uh, pray that he would be at work in their heart. Clearly he was in the heart of that young lady who came to uh, to your doorstep. I think that was a great question, Jeff, and one of the things that 
I want to do the bless you, sir, is give you a complimentary copy today of the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy. Dr. Michael Radelnik, uh, you sound like a man who would use it. So why don't you stay on the line, Jeff? Uh, one of our team members will get your information, and we will send it right over to you as a way of saying thank you. From the uh, Pentateuch to uh, the wisdom literature to the prophets, uh, Jesus Christ, throughout all of the Torah and uh, all of the messianic prophecies are dealt with in this handbook, and it is such a wonderful volume. We're going to take one more break today, but these breaks are strategically placed for you to find out more about our guest and the resource. So go to our website, equipradio.org. While you're there, if God should speak to your heart, why don't you support the program prayerfully and financially? Go to equipradio.org. Enjoy. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We'll be right back. And ransom captive I want to invite you to rediscover your favorite Christmas hymns this season with Born a Child and Yet a King, the Gospel and Carols, an Advent devotional from Nancy DeMoss Wagamoo. Spend 31 days tracing the Gospels through your favorite carols and discover anew the awe of Jesus' incarnation. Each day's reading will guide you into deeper intimacy with Christ this Christmas. Request your copy with a gift of any amount. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Man, am I so excited about this month's gift to you. Born a child and yet a king. The gospel in the carols. You've been singing them. No doubt you've been hearing them at the mall. These wonderful carols. But did you know that they're a great way to tell the gospel story? So rich in theology. So rich in truth. I want to get it into your hands and that Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth is the author, and she walks us through some of the most important and wonderful songs in all of history. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. We want you to have this for you or someone you love by dialing 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael Redelnik, and we're talking about uh, this wonderful resource that I would love for you to add to your library, the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecies, Prophecy Study and Exposition of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And uh, I would say, if you're thinking of a gift for your pastor, this might be the gift, Dr. Redelnik that uh, a pastor would really light up over. I know for me, I love it, and it's on my bookshelf for a reason. All of this, though, that we've been talking about, to me, leads to hopefully gospel conversations. So can you connect our witness, in particular to the Jewish friends, neighbors, coworkers that we may have, and uh, the messianic prophecies of the scriptures? Yeah, you know, one of the, the it's so interesting, uh, I'll just tell it through a story. There was a guy named uh, Murray. If you're listening, Murray, hey. <laughs> uh, 
Murray's a friend of mine. Uh, he, he came from a pretty secular, kind of maybe less uh, traditional Jewish home. I think he was raised Reform. And he didn't have much interest uh, or, or didn't really necessarily believe in the supernatural nature of the Old Testament and the inspiration of the Old Testament. But, you know, he, he sat down with me when he was really considering whether Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, can you just show me in the Old Testament where it says the Messiah would come and how Jesus fulfilled that? I thought that was a really interesting thing because even someone, a Jewish person, who doesn't necessarily believe the Bible, the authority of the Messianic predictions is powerful. And that's really what ultimately brought Murray to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, So uh, I think it's so important that so many of us say, yes, Jesus is predicted in the Old Testament, and then someone will say, where? And yeah, someplace. I better go get that book by Radelnik. That's right. That's right. Where's that at again? Yeah. So just uh, there's uh, at this season. I there's so many I could mention, but at this season, I would start with the birth of the Messiah. We looked at Isaiah seven. Then there's another one that's really phenomenal. We looked at Isaiah nine already uh, about the the birth of the Messiah. Unto us son is born. Unto us a child is given. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. But there's another one, that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Uh, that's A lot of people say, well, Jesus was trying to set himself up to fulfill prophecy. You cannot set yourself up about where you're going to be born. And yeah. he was born in Bethlehem. And what's so significant about that prophecy in Micah 5.2 is that it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you're little among the tribes of Judah, out of you will come forth one who is to be the ruler over all Israel. And then this is the key phrase, uh, whose goings forth, that's kind of a funny word, it means whose appearances have been old even from everlasting. Mm. And it says that he has appeared many times. And, of course, we can look back and see those angel of the Lord appearances in the Old Testament. But when you see those two words that are used together from old, even from everlasting. They can mean from eternity individually, but maybe not necessarily so. But when they are used together, they always refer to eternity. So it's saying is that this one who's going to be born in Bethlehem actually comes from eternity past. That is a sign of him being the God-man because he's not just being born in Bethlehem as, as man, but he's also, he also comes from eternity. He's the father of time. He comes from eternity past. What, a, what an amazing thing. So you have that great birth promise, uh, and you have the promise that, that Matthew begins with. He's the son of Abraham and the son of David. Well, that's crucial. You can find that. The son of Abraham, Genesis twenty-two eighteen. In your offspring will all nations of the earth be blessed. Yes. And then also Second Samuel 7, verse 14 through 16, and it says... You will have a descendant, an offspring, who will have an eternal house, kingdom, and throne. An eternal king will come from the line of David. And I'm done. I have to stop talking because <laughs> I hear your music. Well, you, but I could, you, go, I could go on you, and you on. Keep going. Well, you're a blessing. <laughs> For all of you who are listening, what a joy it's been to be with you. Can't wait till next time. Remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.